turn to Romans chapter 15, Romans 15. If I were to tell you that we are in just a few minutes going to load all of you up in buses and we're going to drop you off in the middle of the heat and we're going to go on a 24-hour excursion throughout the farmlands and ranch land of central Texas, how many of you would be ready right now? Just what I thought, like no one, right? And so, I mean, you know, you're going to need some certain things. You're going to need a good map, right? Uh, some of us are going to need a lot of encouragement along the way, right? But one thing that would be absolutely essential is that we would need water, right? We'd need a lot of it. Now, if you didn't have water, the trip you know would be a disaster. But you know what would be really tragic? Is if you had water and people kept offering to you and you said, nah, I, I don't really need it. I, I'm good without it. You are not good without water. In fact, it is essential for life. I was, years ago, my brother gave me an article on the merits and benefits of water as he's sitting there drinking water, and it's pretty fascinating. Uh, like, do you know that, like, 75% of your brain is water? 80% of your blood is water. 70% of lean muscle, it's all water. And essential to the well-being of your life is that you have water. And just in case you didn't know what all water does, let me just give you some of the things that were in this article. It regulates body temperature. It removes waste. It carries much-needed oxygen and nutrients to your cells. It helps cushion your joints. It prevents chronic constipation, which is very good. It alleviates the burden on your already stressed kidneys and liver. It helps reduce headaches and dizziness. It aids in digestion. It dissolves minerals and vitamins. I mean, water is really helpful. In fact, you could say that without water, we probably wouldn't live, and that is indeed the case. In fact, dehydration, when that takes place, it causes your body to shut down. And on more than one occasion, I've had to be in the emergency room, and voila, the problem was what? The child was being dehydrated. It's, magic. it's just pretty amazing to watch when you give them an IV or give them more fluid, they just perk back up, right? That's because water is essential for physical life. Years ago when I was in high school, uh, I was doing road races on the weekends, and we were in Elgin, Minnesota, and they had the Elgin Cheese Day run, right? It's a 10K deal. Finished up, and, uh, and it, it gets hot, and it's humid up there in Minnesota. And I was watching, you know, folks finishing the race, and there was this guy, and he was, like, staggering as he's coming to the finish line, and he couldn't find it. And I didn't know if they were going to start playing the Rocky music or something like that. And he eventually just, he falls down, and everybody kind of runs out, and they pick him up. They take him across the line, and they actually load him right up into an ambulance, okay? And that's probably what I'm going to look like at my next road race, right there. The problem was is that he dehydrated. And I wanted you to know this. Water is to life what prayer is to our spiritual lives. Our bodies need water. Our souls, they need prayer. We are, by divine design, created to not only know God, but to communicate with God, to interface with Him, to interact, to have a personal relationship with Him. And one of the things that God is really teaching me, especially in the midst of a lot of busyness and a lot of major things that are going on, is the importance of being a man of prayer. Maybe you're learning this. But simply stated, talking with God is essential to walking with God. And when we come to Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 30, 
we're, we're going to see Paul urgently requesting prayer. He, acts, he wants all the people in Rome, all the believers, to be urgently praying. And you're like, why would that be? That's because of this. The Apostle Paul understood the power of prayer. Look at verse 30. He says, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. I urge you, I plead, I beg. What sort of things do you plead for or beg for? Is it ever prayer? Well, the reason that Paul is, is urging is, is he understands how important prayer is to the work of God. And if you see this in verse 30, notice the triunity of God. Do you want to know who God is? He is Father, Son, Spirit. Exactly like you see in verse 30. Our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Spirit, the love that comes from the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, strive together with me in your prayers to God. Speaking of God the Father, so you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He says, on the basis of the triune God, I urge you to pray. And there are two things that he wants them to pray about. And you can actually see that in verse 31. He says that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. So he says two things. One, I am just about ready to walk in to the most challenging, life-threatening situation I have ever faced. I'm going back to Jerusalem. Paul had once been a Pharisee. He had been a lead persecutor of those who were calling themselves Christians and believing in Jesus until he was miraculously converted. And when he placed his faith and trust in Christ, the Jewish leadership hated him, saw him as kind of like enemy number two right after Jesus himself. And so he says, I'm just about ready to go in there. I urge you, would you pray for my well-being? And furthermore, I want you to pray for the service for Jerusalem that this, this gift, remember we saw that last week that I'm bringing, may prove acceptable to the saints. He is bringing a large financial gift given by the Gentile believers in the Roman Empire to the Jewish believers who are believing in Christ in Jerusalem. Because there was already a pretty significant rift developing in the church between the Jewish believers in Christ and the Gentile believers. And Paul saw that this gift from Gentile believers would be of great encouragement and meet real needs. And so he says, pray that it would be received with the heart in which it was tended. And so Paul is saying, I, I urge you, would you play, pray for me? And he said that I may be rescued. Paul does actually uh, experience a rescue. I mean, they didn't put him to death, but they tried to assassinate him and they tried to make his life miserable and they had all these accusations against him. Paul says, I urge you to pray, verse 32, why? So that I may come to you. I want to make it, but I'm going through a situation that could literally take my life. I want to come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. I'd like to come. I know it's going to be tough in Jerusalem, but I'd like to have that refreshing time of just being with the saints and, and just expressing and experiencing this relationship with Christ with you. That will be refreshing, but what I'm about to do in Jerusalem will not be. Will you pray? And I urge you to pray. And so he says in verse 33, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. It's interesting. Paul knows uh, God as the God of peace. If you look at the external circumstances of Paul's life, not so peaceful, right? But inside, that's what matters. He's got communion with God. 
He understands that he's a God of peace even when you're going through great trouble. And that was actually a good chunk of his life. You see, Paul seems to understand the power of prayer. He's urging. He's pleading. It's the practice of his life. And until you understand why prayer is so important, chances are you don't probably pray very much. But as you understand the importance of prayer and why we should pray, you find that there is just joy in communing with God and there's an increase in this, uh, this relationship, fellowship that you have with the living God. So why should Christians pray in the, as a, just a pattern in their daily lives? Well, I'm going to give you three reasons. One, prayer is modeled by our Lord's life. If you want to know, why should I pray? Why should I engage in the practice of communicating with the living God? First of all, it's because prayer was modeled by our Lord's life. It's kind of easy to miss, but Jesus, when he begins his public ministry, do you know how he began it? He actually began it with 40 days and 40 nights of prayer. Prior to his public ministry, he had been a carpenter in Nazareth. And then he goes and he goes someplace where he's not going to be bothered. He goes to the wilderness of Judea and for 40 days and 40 nights, you know what he does? He's praying. And then you see this in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. At the end, after 40 days, guess what happens? He is then tempted by Satan himself. We time to kind of think like, wow, you know, boy, if I spent that kind of time in prayer, I'd be all prayed up and I'd have no problems, face no temptation. doesn't work that way. In fact, when you're communing with the living God, it's as if that is when it's like Satan is going to try to make his most severe strike. And so you see it even in Jesus' life. But if you look at the Gospels, prayer pretty much is woven throughout the life and the ministry of Jesus. He's always talking with the Father, listening to the Father, taking his lead from the Father. When he is busy... You know what he does? He prays. Like in Luke 5, verse 15, it says, But the news about him was spreading even further, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Okay? Whoa. Here is one who heals these sicknesses. And when he speaks, it is profound. It's like, it's like answering the great questions of our soul and giving us what it means to really know God. And you know what happens? Everybody keeps coming to him. But, you know, for Paul, for Jesus, you know what he does? It says, verse 16, But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Even in the midst of all their demands, he would slip away and pray. You know, before big decisions, you know what Jesus did? He prayed. Luke 6, verse 12, it says, it was at that time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Wow. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he named as apostles. Before big decisions, Jesus prayed. Prayer was how he selected his men. Prayer is how he shaped them. Really interesting to read the Gospels. The apostles, the first disciples, they were they're kind of like good Americans. You don't ask a lot of questions, especially on things that are really important. Like when you don't know how to know, do something, oftentimes what happens, like we, we, we don't ask questions even when it's apparent we need help. Because why? We want to look like we're self-sufficient. We got it all together. The apostles kind of function that way. They, they rarely ask Jesus questions, even though it's apparent there are great needs, glaring needs in their life. Uh, they don't ask Jesus, would you teach us how to minister to others? Because obviously you got it figured out. They never ask Jesus, would you teach us how to preach? Wow. When you speak, 
Well, you speak like no one has ever spoken before. Never ask Jesus, would you, would you teach us? But there is one occasion where they do ask Jesus to teach them. It's found in Luke 11, verse 1. It happened that Jesus was praying in a certain place. After he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, one of them said, Lord, would you teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples? You see, we see how important communing and talking with the Father is. Not so important in our life. Something's missing. We see that this is like the lifeblood for you. Would you teach us how to pray? And so he did. Remember, he says, you pray this way. Remember, our Father. Real powerful when we we pray to the Father. You see, when we do so, we're praying to the one who is at the heart of the universe, who is both ultimate power, but he is ultimate love. God is not impersonal. He is personable. He's our Father, fully able, but super relational, desires us to know Him intimately. And really, when you look at Jesus' ministry from the beginning, all throughout, even when He is apprehended by the Romans, even on the cross, even His final breath, you know what Jesus is doing, don't you? He's praying. He's communing with the Father. Remember in the garden? Jesus is praying this way. In Luke 22, verse 42, it says, Father, if you are willing, remove the cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. He had asked his disciples, I want you to pray. They, on the other hand, were like, this is a good time to catch up on some nap after all, right? We are tired. But Jesus, on the other hand, is praying. And he says, remove this cup. People think like, well, Jesus knew the agony of the cross. He knew the physical torture that he was going to face, and that's why he's asking that cup to be removed. Actually, that's not the case. The cup that he's talking about is that when literally, that Jesus would literally bear our sins in his body, that God's just wrath against sin, that Jesus would be the atonement, the propitiation, that he'd literally satisfy God's just wrath against sin, pay the penalty, which is death, and he would do so with his perfect life. That's the great agony, far greater than the physical agony, which was horrendous, is the idea that he would actually pay for our sins. And yet he says, not my will, but yours be done. And even on the cross, you know what Jesus is doing? He's praying. It's his life. Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus kept saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It's in the imperfect tense in the Greek. It means a past action, a a repeated action in the past. You keep doing it over and over again. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And by the way, if you need forgiveness, you've lived life independently and made kind of a wreck of things, I will tell you where it's found. It is found in Jesus, who forgives sins. In fact, his dying on the cross and resurrection guarantees you can have eternal life when you believe in him. It shouldn't surprise us that when Jesus, after he is resurrected and he ascends to his father, that the early church, they devoted themselves to prayer. In fact, Acts 1.14, it says, They were all of one mind, or with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to, anybody got a wild guess? Prayer. That's right, you guys are so smart. Right. That's what they did. By the way, if you want to have a church that is devoted and unified and moving forward in with one mind, one heart, 
one soul, you know what we need to be? We need to be people of prayer because when we're not, we are self-centered. It's all about our little agenda, right? And who's making me happy today? But when you've got a church that's focused on Jesus and they are looking to him, guess what you've got? You've got a church that's praying and praying together. In fact, prayer was the heartbeat of the early church. Remember, uh, shortly after that, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, Peter preaches a message. 3,000 people repent. They are broken. They believe that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. I mean, obviously, they couldn't produce the body. And, it, you know, obviously, he was resurrected. People had seen him. Over 500. Here are all these witnesses. They believe. You know what the early church did? They devoted themselves to these things. Acts 2.42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, communion, and to prayer. In Acts chapter 4, remember when some of the apostles were unjustly arrested and imprisoned and threatened when they were released? Do you know what the apostles called for? They didn't call for, hey, we need to have a protest. We need to amp this up. And we got rights too around here. People can't boss us around. They didn't do none of that. You know what they did? They called the church to prayer. Back in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, they made it crystal clear. We understand our priorities, and that is to this, do this. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We're about communing with God, and we're about spreading the word of God to the people. That is the spiritual priority of spiritual leaders. And did you know, I don't know if you thought about this, but that today, did you know that today the Savior has actually been praying for you? Did you know that? Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says this. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. It's right now, it's as if the Savior is praying that we would get it, that we would understand how important it is to commune with the living God on a regular basis. So why pray? Well, first of all, it was modeled by our Savior, modeled by our Lord. Let me give you another reason. It is also mandated by God's Word. There are multiple passages we could look at, but let me just give you a few that actually speak to the reality that you and I are to be a people of prayer. Ephesians 6.18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. That has the idea that you're depending and delighting upon God. Pray in the Spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Not just praying for you, but praying for the perseverance and praying for the actual believers around you. Becoming others-centered in your life. And to do so by praying for them. Or like Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer. Keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Or how about in like 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. You don't want to hear that. We're praying at all times. Do you find that like difficult to even comprehend, much less practice? I mean, what does that look like? I mean, what does prayer look like in a lot of people's lives? Well, some folks, you know, they uh, maybe like when a crisis hits, that's when people pray. You find a crisis hits our nation, crisis hits your family, your life personally, you got a major test and you didn't study, what happens? What happens? We start what? Praying, right? 
Um, sometimes we, we develop a pattern. This is a really good pattern. We'll, we'll say a quick prayer before we eat. But not, of course, in a public place or at school, right? But then, of course, some people are like, you know what? Hey, if I can pray at home, I can pray here at school, I can pray at, I can pray at McDonald's here. Wow, and you can. Um, then, of course, maybe, you know, we maybe develop a pattern where we pray at night. Maybe we pray with the kids. Now I lay me down to sleep, right? I want, these are all good things. In fact, when you pray with your kids at night, uh, you can actually pray good theology. And they will learn as you pray. But sometimes we just kind of reduce prayer down to just a few needs. It's just like, okay, I'll just do it right before I eat maybe, or I will pray because i got a problem. So we like, Lord, help me, as we drive around a parking lot, to, and we just ask God to help us find a parking spot. Nothing wrong with that, right? God wants you to park safely and not hit other cars and all that sort of stuff. No problems there. However... What does it really mean to pray like this? When God mandates this idea that we're to pray without ceasing. I'll simply tell you it's like this. To be devoted to prayer is to pray as you go through your day. It becomes a way of life. It's something you continue to grow into. But I find that I don't really want to be like that. I wish I wasn't such a bad example for you guys. But I find that I've got like enemies that are kind of waging war to kind of keep me from praying like that. And I've even identified them. One is the world. You know, this world, it's distracting, it's engaging, it's entertaining. And it kind of gives me this message. You do not want to pray. I mean, why do you want to pray? Because everything you've got is right here. I mean, you've got things to think about, worry about, stress about, fantasize about. And it's like the world always is pulling us to a horizontal level. The idea of vertical and communing with God. Like, no, 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 no. It's, here, it's where it's at is right down here. And you just stay locked in on the, on the things that are going on here. Don't, don't worry about prayer. You don't want to pray. I'll tell you another enemy to learning how to pray as a way of life. And that is my flesh. When the Bible speaks of the flesh, it's like the residual aspect of your fallen nature. Like, it's, it's like never wanting to submit to God. My flesh. It tires easily. I can be discouraged, self-centered, self-reliant, prone to pity. Right? You know what I'm talking about? It fights. It does not want to pray. It says, you, you really don't feel like praying. And it's kind of like this. We live, it seems, by our feelings, which is a terrible way to live. You want to be governed by your values and your faith. But if you're always living by your feelings, do you just like spring out of bed and say, I feel like praying? Probably not, right? So what happens? If you don't feel like it, you don't pray. That's because you're learning to live life by your feelings. Actually, the Word of God says, pray. It's, it's a command. It's not even a suggestion. And yet, our flesh doesn't want to pray. And I'll give you the third enemy that I find. And that's the devil himself. Satan's message is pretty simple. You do not need to pray. Satan understands the power of prayer big time. That's why he is encouraging you not to pray. You do not need to pray. And the devil fights us praying. Do you know why? Because when we pray, it's it's fighting him. And God uses His people, when they pray, to further the kingdom of God. He understands the power of prayer, and he does not want anyone engaged in it. 
So why does God mandate prayer? Why does he make it so clear we're to be praying? And he puts it over and over in the Word. Because God understands that he accomplishes a lot of his work by involving his people. God's means to accomplish his work is when his people enter that work, and that is primarily through prayer. You kind of think like, well, it doesn't matter. God's got it all figured out. He's sovereign. Does it matter if I pray? That attitude will keep you from prayer. However, when you understand that God is actually utilizing me in his work when I pray, then we're more apt to pray. And think of the needs. Look at all the needs in your life personally. Look at the needs in your family, in our church, in our community, in our country. If there was ever a week to say, wake up, we need to pray, this would be the week, right? The needs are great. Culture, issues that we're facing are significant. It's almost like we've been kind of lulled to sleep. We're kind of like when we come home for a really hard day of work, we sit on our couch, we slip into like a subconscious state, you know, between like, is it dinner time and am I asleep, right? That seems to be kind of how we approach prayer. Like, kind of here, but kind of not. We are engaged. And really, when we pray, God acts. This is, that's so powerful. God can do more in five seconds than you and I can do in five years. Do you know that? I've had to learn this the hard way. You know, you got these big problems, these issues, uh, things you've got to do. I mean, unrealistic expectations. And so what are you doing? You're trying to figure it all out. You're beating your head against the wall. You don't get it. Things are difficult, right? But then when you stop, like, you know what? I need, I need to seriously stop and just pray. It's like you pray and you ask the Lord, you bring these issues before him. It's like, like all of a sudden, like this illumination, you, you get insight. You see possibilities that weren't there even before. It's how God works. You need to understand that prayer can make you 5,000 times more fruitful than you can do it going on, on your own. You can't do it. You, Jesus said, you can accomplish nothing apart from me. Go ahead and try, but that probably explains a lot of the disaster in your life. On the other hand, you abide me and I in you. I will accomplish my work through you. And so we learn to, to pray. And friends, we, we pray in Jesus' name. Remember like in John 14, verses 13 and 14, he says, ask anything in my name. I want you to pray under my authority. You appeal to me. You come to the Father through me. You pray in my name. You come to the authority of the cross and you come to me. It's really interesting. There's a big trend in Christianity right today to move away from praying in Jesus' name. You can kind of say, in your name or in, in his name, but, but don't say Jesus. Um, as a pastor, I get opportunities to pray for public events, and that's really cool to represent Christ. And um, I was asked to pray at a pretty significant gathering of people, and uh, they said, we, we'd like you to come. We've had you before. But one thing, uh, we're going to ask that you do not pray in Jesus' name. But could, would you still come? I said, what? Are you kidding me? I said, that's the only name that we can pray in. I, I, I had to turn him down. I didn't end up getting inv invited. You know why? Because I understand that we come in the name of Jesus. Friends, that's how we pray. What God is trying to teach us is that you and I are to live our lives in delight and dependence upon God. And 
That's what prayer is. That's why God mandates prayer in His Word. So that we'll experience a rich fellowship and communion with the living God. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, I remember being a pretty new Christian and reading this like, whoa, this is cool. Listen to this, Hebrews 4, 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Listen to these words. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And so then he says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You come to me. I will give you the strength. But you've got to break these patterns of self-reliance and self-dependence. You come to me. I will help you. I'll give you grace. I'll give you mercy. And the other times where uh, I don't feel like praying, difficult stuff going on, discouraging things taking place. I find just sometimes just even just saying the name of Jesus. Saying, God, Father, I'm, I'm coming to you. i got a cold heart. I mean, feel like praying. Would you give me the faith just to engage you? See, talking with God is essential to walking with God. So why do we pray? Well, first of all, prayer is modeled by the Lord himself. Second, prayer is mandated by God's word. But let me give you one other reason. Prayer is a means by which God brings about change. Prayer is a means by which God brings about change. Sometimes we think like, well, we're going to pray before we do some ministry. Actually, prayer is the work of the ministry. Let me, let me tell you, at times, God uses prayer to change circumstances. Did you know that? At times, God uses prayer to change circumstances. Like, if you want a couple examples on that, look at, like, Acts chapter 12. Herod saw, like, wow makes me pretty popular with the Jewish people when I kill these apostles of Jesus. Remember? That's what happened. They appeared and put to death James, the brother of John, and his popularity went, Phew, I got a huge bump in the polls. Not bad. I'm pretty smart. Guess what? I'll pick Peter. <laughs> Locked him up. He's next. I'm going to be surgeon, man. I am going to ride the wave of popularity. And so they apprehended Peter and then of course, the church, man, they already saw that Herod, man, he's, he's going to start systematically putting us to death, starting with our leaders. So they're all praying. And Peter's in prison. On the night in which Herod was going to call him forward, God miraculously releases Peter. You know what's taking place, don't you? There's this big prayer meeting in Jerusalem, and all the saints, they're petitioning, God, be merciful and rescue Peter. And Peter is led out by an angel. It is it is. It's, powerful. You've got to read it in Acts chapter 12. He finds himself standing in the streets of Jerusalem like, whoa, huh, how did this happen? I had been incarcerated, chained. Now I'm here. I'm like, I think I'm going to go visit my friends, you know? And so he does. He hightails it. He goes to the house where they're all gathered for prayer. He's knocking at the door. A servant girl by the name of Rhoda shows up and she sees Peter standing outside. And Peter's like, here I am. And he's like, oh, we're all praying for you. I can't believe it. So she goes back and she tells all the people that are praying for Peter's release, you can stop praying now because he's here. And this is what it says in the Greek translated. You are out of your mind. You're insane. That is impossible. There's no way because Peter's in prison. That's why we're praying that he'll be released. No, will you stop making things up? Finally, she convinces them to go to the door and they see him. You know, sometimes God uses prayer 
to change circumstances. Or you want another another great example? In Isaiah 37, there is a king by the name of Sennacherib. He's the king of Assyria. He is the world power, and he is dominating any kingdom that stands his way. And he's basically just kind of picking them off one after one, and he is now at the gates of Jerusalem. And he sends a letter that basically says, if you don't completely capitulate, we're going to destroy you in the most miserable way you might ever imagine. And he puts it in a letter, and King Hezekiah, the king, he takes that letter and he literally spreads it before the living God and he prays and petitions, God, be merciful. And you know what? God did. He addressed the situation. In fact, on the night before they were going to destroy Jerusalem, God sends this angel of death and 185,000 Assyrian soldiers died. They perished because God defended his people and his honor. And he was moved by prayer. You know, at times, God changes the circumstances, and he does so through the prayers of his people. But let me tell you this. God always uses prayer to change us, to change our hearts, our minds, our perspective. You might want to jot these verses down, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer... And supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God says, I will give you my peace, a peace that is beyond this world, that doesn't make sense in light of circumstances. It's my peace. You come to me and you do so with thanksgiving. And think of all the benefits of prayer. I mean, when we pray, there's a desire to obey God. There's the, the unity of the saints. There's intimacy with God. We live by faith when we pray. Persevere through problems. We find hope in the midst of difficulties. Why? Where? How? When we pray. When God brings about a conviction of sins. We gain insight into situations. The whole understanding of the Word, the illumination that comes through the Spirit, it all comes through prayer. I mean, we can just go on and on of all the benefits. If you've got trouble forgiving someone... You start praying about the situation and ask God to help you, and he will. Really, I mean, everything we need is found in this relationship we have with the living God, secured in Christ, and practiced and experienced by us when we pray. And I'll tell you this. There may be times where you don't feel or sense God's presence. Uh, this has happened to numerous people in our church. All of them been, I would put in the very mature category of deep walks with Christ. And there will be like at this time where they simply can't sense God's presence. And they've talked with me about it. And the situation is this. When you pray, even when you don't feel like it, you know that? That is the ultimate expression of faith. And so you find this in the Psalms, and so you see it maybe even in your own life. You pray. You see, God uses prayer to bring about change. It's kind of like that hymn. Remember the hymn, Oh what peace we often forfeit, oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. No wonder Paul is requesting prayer because he understands the power of prayer. I remember years ago I was painting and I was listening to the radio. I was painting this wall in our condo and uh, they had this guy on there that was... He had terminal cancer, and he was about to die, and he's talking on the radio. And he made this statement. 
God will heal me either in this life or the next, but God will heal me. And I just kind of had to put down my roller right there. You see, God brings about change. God brings about communion when we are willing to pray. Let me give you just a simple pattern for prayer. Uh, You can follow the acronym ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. Do you know every Sunday morning at 1045, we have people that meet in the office just kind of across the parking lot? You know what they're doing, don't you? They're praying for all of us, and you're always welcome to join them. Let's just make prayer an intentional priority as we go through the days. And, you know, we're all drinking water, and I really encourage you to drink a lot of water. I don't want you in the ER. I'd like you to stay hydrated. Every once in a while when you drink some water, just remember that life is more than physical. And just like your body needs water, so your soul needs prayer. Because talking with God is essential to walking with God. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for just the clarity of your word. And God, would you revive us and would you develop us and mature us that we would be a people of prayer knowing your grace and your goodness. And Father, for someone who has come here today who's never trusted in Jesus, they don't understand relationship with God, but they yearn for it at a soul level. Would they simply pray with me and say, Lord, I turn from myself and my sin and I believe in Jesus, the Messiah. I ask for forgiveness of sins. I ask that you'd be the Lord of my life. And Lord, for all of us, may we develop the patterns of joyful communion with you and understanding that talking with you is essential to walking with you. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.